No, I just put, there we go. Apparently, I, I turned it off instead of taking off mute. <coughs> uh. So, while I get my phlegm out, we're going to start with alcohol and you. Alcohol and the human. I want to read this to you from, uh, this is from a Forbes magazine article, so uh, it, which is, of all places that I found, I looked a lot of places for brain chemistry on this, and this is from Forbes magazine, quote, what happens once that vodka cranberry works its way through your bloodstream and hits the control center behind your eyes? We hear many different things about how alcohol affects the brain and body, most notably that it is a depressant. That's only part of the story. Alcohol is a depressant, but it's also an indirect stimulant and plays a few other roles that might surprise you. Alcohol directly affects brain chemistry by altering levels of neurotransmitters. The chemical messengers that transmit the signals throughout the body that control thought process behavior, and emotion. Alcohol affects both excitatory neurotransmitters and inhibitory neurotransmitters. An example of an excitatory neurotransmitter is glutamate, which would normally increase brain activity and energy levels. Alcohol suppresses the release of glutamate, resulting in a slowdown along your brain's highways. An example of an inhibitory neurotransmitter is GABA, G-A-B-A, which reduces energy levels and calms everything down. Drugs like Xanax and Valium and other benzodiazepines increase GABA production in the brain, resulting in sedation. Alcohol does the same thing by increasing the effects of GABA. This, by the way, is one reason... You don't want to drink alcohol while taking benzodiazepines. The effects will be amplified, and that can slow your heart rate and respiratory system down to dangerous levels. So what we just discussed accounts for the depressant effects of alcohol. It suppresses the excitatory neurotransmitter glutamate and increases the inhibitory neurotransmitter GABA. What this means for you is that your thought, speech, and movements are slowed down, and the more you drink, the more of these effects you'll feel. Hence, the stumbling around, falling over chairs, and other clumsy things drunk people do. But here's the twist. And I, I don't know if you put it in there as a pun, you know, for a twist. To drink, get it in a drink. Anyway, here's the twist. Alcohol also increases the release of dopamine in your brain's reward center. The reward center is the same combination of brain areas, particularly the ventral striatum, that are affected by virtually all pleasurable activity, including everything from hanging out with friends, going on vacation, getting a big bonus at work, ingesting drugs like cocaine and crystal meth, and drinking alcohol. By jacking up dopamine levels in your brain, alcohol tricks you into thinking that it's actually making you feel great, or maybe just better if you're drinking to get over something emotionally difficult. The effect is that you keep drinking. <clears throat> the effect is that you keep drinking to get more dopamine release, but at the same time, you're altering other brain chemicals that are enhancing feelings of depression. Research suggests that alcohol's effect on dopamine is more significant for men than women 
which may account for men drinking more than women on average. And I looked up stats on this, and that is uh, proven true, that men uh, have more trouble with alcohol than women do. Uh, <clears throat> according to results from 2001 and 2002 survey, uh, alcoholism affects men more than women. About 10% of men compared to 3 to 5% of women become alcoholics over the course of their lifetime. Over time with more drinking, the dopamine effect diminishes until it's almost non-existent. And this, I've known this from other stuff, research I've done on this in, in other drugs, is that the, they all do this as your brain releases dopamine, it releases less and less over time, and then it stops releasing it completely. But at this stage, a drinker is often hooked on the feeling of dopamine release in the, in the reward center, even though they are no longer getting it. Once a compulsive need to go back again and again for that release is established, addiction takes hold. The length of time it takes for this to happen is case-specific. Some people have a genetic propensity for alcoholism, and for them it will take very little time, while for others it may take several weeks or months. <coughs> so why did I open with this? In today's class, we're going to deal with Paul's command not to get drunk with wine, which he says is excess. Uh, actually, the word is the same word that's used for the prodigal son. Uh, the same exact word. I'll show you that in the lesson. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. And then he relates that to uh, be filled with the Spirit. And today we're going to see how the... Why does Paul use uh, drunkenness along with the filling of the Spirit. Why not some other sin? And that's what we're going to explore today. So <clears throat> with that, let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for the opportunity that we have to hear His Word and to learn these things and to gain insight into the Word of God concerning the filling of God the Holy Spirit. So with that, let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, you are holy and perfect. We ask, Father, that you lead us in your word by your spirit so that each of us can understand, including myself, what your word speaks on this subject. We ask, Father, that you bring truth into our humble hearts so that we will comprehend and glean the truth at, that comes from your word. As you gave in Israel to the poor, you said that they could glean from the fields, and we glean from your field, that infinite field that is the Word of God. We glean at the corners, we learn little by little, but we are always full and satisfied. Let your Word speak to us its truth and help us to respond in faith. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. And I want to announce for the first time on a Thursday night that I actually remember, uh, I made my note bright yellow so Friday Zoom call so uh, if you want to join us tomorrow for Zoom call in which other members of the congregation from various points in the country and one person from England usually joins us and we chit chat with each other about the word of God and other things and that's at 4 o'clock our time on the west coast it always works Keith it's just that you don't work Let's look at Ephesians 5.18. <laughs> yeah, 
you want to be smart alecky from the crowd, you're going to get it back. All right. No, I'm kidding. It's uh, yeah. Whatever. I think we had a wrong link posted underneath the right link, and there was something wrong there. So we deleted everything but the right link. So hopefully it'll work. If it doesn't, well, we'll fix it. Ephesians 5:18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. First off, we can dismiss immediately that Paul is merely talking about the problem of drunkenness or excessive drinking. Is all that Paul is after here to get people to stop drinking? Uh, No. Uh, Plus, we would know, those of us would know, that uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit doesn't come to people who are not drinking or haven't drunk. The, you know, just because someone hasn't drunk anything doesn't mean that they're filled with the Spirit. So Paul's not actually making a plug for teetotalism, uh, which I, I always thought in the past spoke of tea or drinking tea instead of alcohol. <laughs> but it turns out it's just a stuttering of the word total, which may have something to do with the drunkenness of the person who made it up. I have no idea. But this is not a plug by Paul for abstinence. Drunkenness is a sin. Drinking alcohol in a moderate way in which you don't become drunk is not a sin. Drunkenness is certainly included in the text, but what we want to explore is why and how. One of the reasons Paul mentions drunkenness must be that it was an issue that was characteristic of the time. He wouldn't have said don't be drunk with wine if it weren't an issue in their society. And just like it is an issue in our society, as all sins are, they're not unique to the past. Uh, For instance, Paul tells the Corinthians not to eat with a so-called brother who was a drunkard. So it had to be prominent in their cities and in these places. In Romans, Paul writes that we should uh, put on the Lord and behave properly, in Romans 15, not in carousing and in drunkenness. So Paul commands us there not to carouse or to be drunk. Paul also writes, and this is food for thought, Paul also writes twice that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. And therefore, all believers should take that to heart. I'm not saying those passages means that that you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, It's just, I'm saying what Paul says here. And so all of us should be cautious. All believers should take to heart what Paul writes, that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. A survey done in 2019 in America found that 25.8% of people 18 or older had admitted to binge drinking in the last month. Uh, That would mean an episode of becoming drunk. That's almost 26% of the adult population. It's more prevalent in men than women, as we read in the Forbes article. And in the world, in 2016, 3 million deaths were attributed to alcohol. That's 5% of the population of the world. 3 million. You know, if you put all 3 million in like one place, and when we think of 5%, it doesn't sound like that much. But 3 million people is quite significant. Personally, I haven't met a family that hasn't been touched in some way by a tragedy that is in accordance with alcohol abuse. But Paul here, 
rather than trying to stop the plague of alcoholism, is appealing to the change that has happened to believers in Christ. All believers in Christ are indwelt by the Spirit. And that's what he's getting at. All of us have a new life, and we're altogether different. In Ephesians 4, he says, put off the old man and put on the new. And something else. And this, as we'll, as we'll see, this to some they, they hate to hear such a thing, but Paul is also drawing similarities. <coughs> You can hear it in, in the sentence. It's almost like he's saying, look, you've been used to living in a society where people get drunk for various reasons, for the stimulation of it, and I'm going to show you a better way. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then you can see in that, you can hear in it, that he's drawing similarities. There's a reason that people get drunk. There is stimulation, as we read in the article, but it's also characteristically opposed by the depression that occurs. And in the end, depression does occur. And actually, initially, depression does occur, as we'll see. Um, And so people get drunk for a reason, or else they wouldn't do it. You never hear that 26% of Americans binge, poke themselves in the eye with a stick. There's things people don't do because it's not fun. But people do drink to excess because of the release of dopamine that it gives. And also the suppression of thoughts that they want to get rid of. And it does both of those. But the repercussions of it are dire. There is something that people like and enjoy about feeling, about the feeling of excess alcohol. And that's what Paul is stating. And what Paul is stating is that God will do what you're after here better and without the terrible negative results that come to self and others. That drunkenness always produces. There's always terrible repercussions to it. So, as we saw in the article, alcohol is depressant. Some people say, well, if that's true, then why do I feel more alive and more energetic when I'm drunk. But the sadness of depression, the sad part of depression, is an after effect. But, that, but what so many miss is the beginning of drunkenness, at the beginning, sorry, that something is depressed. Uh, excessive alcohol depresses the highest centers of the brain. They are the first to be affected. These centers control things that give man's self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance, and the power to assess everything. In other words, everything that makes man behave at his very highest and best. It suppresses that. Again, the centers that control everything that gives us self-control, wisdom, understanding, discrimination, judgment, balance even, and the power to assess These are suppressed. The better a man's control, the better he is. He who controls his feelings and moods and states and passions is one who is obviously better than one who cannot. We need to control ourselves. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So, if you've, and we've all heard this, some will say, well, he's a good man, he's a very fine man, but don't get him angry. He's a good guy, but... You know, don't get him angry. 
He loses his temper. What does that mean? He has no self-control. Self-control is an indispensable aspect of a human being to live. In the Christian life, it is indispensable. All the commands that we're told to do and not to do, or as Paul states, I beat my body lest and make it my slave, lest it, as he, what he's meaning there, that it control me. So hence we have this accompanying word, if you look again at Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Here we go. So, um, pardon me, what did I just do? Sorry. Close that? Please hold. Ay, ay, ay. There we go. All right. So, uh, the word that is excess is right here. Asotia. So, this says, and not be drunk. You be drunk with wine. In this is, the verb to be is, this word. So I put it here in English for you. Asotia. This is the very word that's used for the prodigal son. Uh, it is means wasteful or uh, prodigally. Wastefully or prodigally. And <clears throat> what's interesting is that you see, well, there's many interesting things about it, but it is the word for... Right, I need to work my be able to work my thing here. Okay, it is the word for salvation. Sotia is a word to save, but it has the negative a in front of it. As you see here, sotia means to save, and it has a negative a in front. So not saved. Now this, of course, doesn't mean that a person is not saved, but it does mean that meaning saved eternally. What it does refer to is that you haven't saved that which is precious. So, reference it to the prodigal son. What was the deal with the prodigal son? You know, he said, Father, give me all that's mine in my inheritance, and I'm leaving. And he did. And what did he do with that? This is what his father had given him for an inheritance, and he went away somewhere, and he, <coughs> he wasted it. Uh, he wasted it on whatever he wanted to do. So he wasted his substance. He wasted what was precious, what his father gave him. Now what we love about the parable, and all of us should, is that when the son returns home after he has nothing, and he's <coughs> craving what pigs eat, that his father runs to him and wraps his arms around him and welcomes him home. His father forgives him. Uh <coughs> But when we do this, <clears throat> and we know that we're forgiven when we do this, and I'm sure all of us have done it to some extent, some of us to a great extent, that when we do this, we do not save or guard or keep that which is good and right. We scatter it away, and in the end, we have nothing at all. And that's what Paul is calling drunkenness. Drunkenness is prodigality. 
Drunk, that's what Paul is saying. Drunkenness is, and that's, this is an important word for us here, that the filling of the Holy Spirit isn't that, but drunkenness is. And so he's tying the two together, and as we'll see, they're different, and in some ways they're similar. <coughs> so if we uh, further it'll expand the translation, if you will, do not get drunk with wine, which is wastefulness of all that is good. And that's a that's a really actually a, a quite a good definition of asotia, uh, wastefulness of all that is good. Don't get drunk with wine because if you do, with both hands you're going to throw away that which is important. But contrast, be filled with the Spirit. So. Well, first look at the differences. Obviously, alcohol is a depressant, and the Christian life is not. The Christian life, which we're referring to here as spirit-filled life, is not wasteful, but productive. The prodigal son, though we love the story, the prodigal son went the way of wastefulness, which is quite the opposite of Christianity. Take time, for instance. Drunkenness wastes time. And when you're drunk, you can't keep track of time. Time doesn't really mean anything to you. Uh, you're, you'll take the time to do things that you shouldn't do. And <clears throat> However, Christianity uses time to the maximum. We live, spirit-filled Christians live day by day. I live for today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Christians live, spirit-filled Christians Think every day, you know every day, is a day that the Lord has made. The Lord has given me this day. And no matter what is in it, whether i got to work, whether it's a vacation, whether it's uh, I'm doing nothing, whether it's mundane, filled with uh, details and chores, or whether it's fun at a party or with friends, whether I'm at church or I'm at home or I'm at work or I'm in the car or wherever I am, that the the work I do, I serve, I pray, I do, I learn as unto the Lord. On the other hand, drunkenness wastes time completely. It squanders it. Many, many, many days can be lost of which... Drunkenness has done nothing. Uh, <clears throat> another thing that it has, uh, that Christianity has, that drunkenness doesn't, is energy. Now, as we saw in the chemistry or the brain chemistry, that alcohol can actually increase dopamine, that can give me a little more energy. But <clears throat> the drunk puts energy into things that he shouldn't do. Uh, he says words that he shouldn't say, he or she. It's mostly he's, as we saw on the data. Uh, and, you know, he, he puts his energy into sins and doesn't care about the ramifications. Why, you know, why is the ramifications of what you're doing under the influence so different? It's because those higher centers in the brain are depressed. And so it doesn't, it seems like, well, it'll work, you know, it won't be that bad. The repercussions to sin won't be that bad. So drunkenness squanders energy. The drunk does, does things that his sober self would not do. <coughs> drunkenness also throws away people. 
Uh, countless stories. I know a current one now. Um, not, not a member of this congregation. So I always have to be careful when I say that. People, I always think people say, well, who was it? Was he talking about? <laughs> Knowing that, you know. But this person uh, has given up family and everything for booze and drugs. He's given it up. With both hands, thrown it away. Time, energy, family. His marriage. His his marriage. His children. His beautiful children. But addiction has set in. And... You know, I, you, if you know anybody like that, like I said, I don't know of, I've talked to plenty of people, I, I don't know of any family that I've met that hasn't been touched by this at some point or in some way, is that in all cases, the alcoholic can recover, the drug addict can recover. It's, the, it's really the miracle of Christianity is that it truly does change people. <coughs> Excuse me. But the drunk does throw people away. And so... What we see that is thrown away, again, asotia, we go back to it, is this word to be wasteful, to just throw away. And what <coughs> has the alcoholic thrown away or the one who is addicted to alcohol? That it really what Paul is referencing here in the society of first century Ephesus or Rome or anywhere, the uh, in anywhere in the Roman Empire, really the Greekish world, that the drinking of wine into excess was accepted. <coughs> and what is thrown away is time, energy, and people. What also is thrown away is chastity, purity, temperance. Temperance is self-control. Chastity and purity, the ability to think and reason and understand, morality and honor. The Christian life is the exact opposite. The life, of the, <clears throat> the life of Christ preserves what is good and gives away only that which benefits others. So do we give away with both hands? We sure do. But the Spirit-filled Christian loves and gives to others what benefits them. The Spirit-filled Christian builds, doesn't tear down. He adds, he or she adds, doesn't lose or take away. <clears throat> the Christian who is spiritual is always gaining. Gaining knowledge, more scripture, more understanding of God, a deeper and more rewarding life. Or as Paul writes, it makes us super rich. The prodigal throws this all away for more. More what? More wine. More wastedness. More wasted time. <clears throat> so now, and the Christian is is given a spiritual life a ministry, a spiritual gift, and uh, a body, at least a portion of the body of Christ, a congregation, a church. If they're married, they have a, they're given a spouse. If they have a family, they're given children. Um, and they're given work. And all of this is a part of their life. And <clears throat> what the, the word that's used for managing the gifts of God is stewardship. And every believer has been given a stewardship. We are to take care of that which God has given us. We are to care for our blessings, uh, which are many. The Christian, uh, sorry, the Christian, the spiritual Christian is a steward, and he or she manages what God has given them well. Uh, Christ tells 
at least I, I think at the least two parables on this. I know there's two. That there is a faithful steward and an unfaithful steward. And you know, uh, in, in accordance with our message here today, the unfaithful steward is the one who doesn't think his master's coming back. So the steward is the one who's in charge of the house while the master's gone. And he doesn't think the master's coming back soon. So what Christ says is this unfaithful steward, he gets drunk and then he beats the other slaves. But the faithful steward is always looking for the master. The faithful steward is always doing his work even though the master isn't in the parable. The master isn't there and the master isn't looking. But the faithful steward loves the master. The faithful steward does take care of that which the master has given him to care for. Now, there's great reward in this. You care for what God has given you, and those blessings bear fruit. Right? You have been given the Spirit within. It's not that the Spirit needs your care, but you're careful with what the Spirit wants to do. You, know, you can either grieve the Spirit which would lead us to believe that we can also please the Spirit. And we can't. We can please God. It is to be our ambition, as Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, that we should be pleasers of God. And therefore, we can be pleasers of the Holy Spirit. So we realize the solemn charges that have been given to us, and we care for them. We care for them because we love them. We love them because we love the one who gave them to us. Now, What happens when you're intoxicated? Well, all that goes away. You throw it away. Again, we're not saying just, you know, people who drink in moderation. Paul's not even even touching that. Now, as we know, he told Timothy, when Timothy was, was stressed out about things, he told Timothy to take a drink of wine for his stomach. You know, he didn't say a gallon. He said, take a, I don't know, it says a drink. I think King James probably translated that as sip so that, you know, because <laughs> people get all wrapped up in this, depending on what denomination. And someone told me once, how do you get a Baptist to stop drinking all your beer if you invite them over? Invite two Baptists over. That's correct. So <clears throat> a Christian is a steward. Uh, he manages God's things well. The drunkard doesn't manage anything. So, again, contrast to an old life or the old self and which with drunkenness and spirit-filled. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives us energy. As I stated, the drunkard is exhausted the following day after his escapade of drunkenness. And there's something to be said for that. And actually, I would not mind maybe in this little mini series of the holy spirit to do a class or two on energy you know because if, uh, many of us those that i know who are busy energy should be at a premium uh, <clears throat> we've probably heard of cases of missionaries or pastors burning out you know it's a ministry post ministry exhaustion or a post-missionary exhaustion. But the Holy Spirit puts power into us. And it's, and it's true that you know, we, can, we get tired. Paul does tell us to work. You know, we, we, we are to work. And it's not wrong to be exhausted. 
with your service to God. But that's definitely different from being burnt out. Uh, A drunkard the next day is burnt out. But for us, day by day, we serve one day, we lay down our lives one day, we use our energy because it's the energy that comes from us by the Spirit. You know, we go to bed and get enough sleep. You know, I've, I've, I've uh, personally seen the value of getting enough sleep after, you know, after going to school and stuff. I, I deprived myself of sleep for a while, and uh, it turns out that as your brain gets extra tired, the even though you have more hours because you're not sleeping, your brain can't do the work. It's just exhausted. You can't focus, can't think. So you have to give yourself enough sleep. And that's in the book of Proverbs. There's a great proverb there that maybe if we do this thing on energy, I'll put stuff like that in, which is the sweet sleep of those who believe and have faith. David writes a psalm about it too. When he's out in the wilderness and he's in danger of death, And he says he sleeps at night soundly because he knows that around him are the angels of God. And he really doesn't have men protecting him. And somebody's out to kill him, but he sleeps well. So the Spirit gives us energy. If we find ourselves getting burned out, we should explore, you know, are we really trying to do things in our own power or are we trusting in God the Holy Spirit through our our obedience? Now, we also know that those who do not get drunk, those not drunk, sorry, do not automatically have the qualities of the Holy Spirit. Right? Things like energy and other things. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but Christianity <clears throat> is therefore not just the mere absence of morality. Or, sorry, <laughs> presence of morality. See, that's a tired brain who just said that. Uh, the Christianity is not the mere presence of morality. Meaning that, and, and these are, there's plenty of people who are good moral people who are enemies of Christianity. I mean, in life, they, they're not drunkards. They, they're nice people. They, they take care of their homes. They're good to their neighbors. They're, they let people in on tra- to come into traffic, which I find that to be a rare quality in this state. Uh, you know, when you're trying to merge uh, you know, stuff like that. They're nice people. They're moral people. But they hate Christianity. I think these are the greatest evangelists for the world system. They be- and they believe things. They believe something. They even uh, probably believe that Jesus is a nice guy and a moral teacher. But God and Savior, they do not. <clears throat> so, Christianity is not just morality. You know, and we teach that here. I teach this all the time, morality and ethics. That each of us, I, we teach that we do not live in sin. That we <coughs> do our best and our level best to resist temptation to sin. But that's not all we teach. That it is true that we are to be moral. It is true that we are to be virtuous. But why? You know, the why makes it come alive because we're in Christ, because we're saved, because we're forgiven, because we're righteous, because we're justified, because we're predestined, because we have a destiny with God that is absolutely, eternally uh, secure. And it's because of that and our love of Him, and I know I'm going to do the things I'm supposed to do because the Spirit is in me to give me the power to do it. And this 
is a great contradiction to those who are just, uh, say, merely moral. Uh, so when we think about it, the, ener- the qualities of energy, compassion, giving, joy, and love are all positive. What I mean by positive is that you're giving. You're doing. The negative, which there are plenty of them in the Scripture, there are plenty of them in Ephesians, are the do-nots. Don't do this. Don't get drunk with wine. And there's a little negative no in that sentence. Do not do it. And there are plenty of those. But there are also plenty of positives. And it's the positives that are the production of what we do. And what is a positive? Be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> so, uh, the pure religion that is Christianity, and another point to this, if we, if we look at it a little more, is the difference between Spirit-filled living or spiritual living and being under the law. We talked about this that this week a little bit. That being under the law is a list of do's and don'ts, and it's doing just for the sake of doing. So as I was reading today in Exodus, I was reading a bit of Exodus this morning, and you get to the part where, you, where God has given the law, uh, and these are a bunch of rules. And if, if you read your Bible, you find yourself, saying, you know, I could go uh, kind of skim these. You know, and, but today I didn't skim them. I, I read them. And one of the laws that I read <coughs> was that if, and this is in the Mosaic Law, if someone gives you something to take care of and then you lose it or someone steals it from you. So say someone gave you their lawnmower. Say, could you take care of this for me? And you put it in your garage and you locked it up. Someone came and stole it. According to the Mosaic Law, you would pay him back for his lawnmower. You were, when you accepted something to care for it, you were responsible for it. You think, well, you know, is that really just? But it's, it's <coughs> you know, whether you think that or not, it doesn't matter because it's right there in the Mosaic Law. And that what God said to Israel was, if you take something into your possession that, some, that your neighbor gives you, you take care of it. And if it was an animal, if you lost it, you paid them for it. If a wild beast killed it, you showed the evidence to the guy and said, well, that wasn't on me, and then you're good. But if you just lost it, then you had to prove that you didn't actually steal it and say you lost it. And what is God showing us there? There's plenty of these little rules. That God says, you are going to be fair to one another. You're going to be just to one another. And that is my law. And, if, and God says in the law, if anybody complains to me that they're being treated unjustly, I'm going to act. So he threatens them that if you don't do this, you're going to suffer for it. So is this law repeated in the New Testament? We don't read anything about such laws, do we? Don't read about borrowing and holding and protecting, you know, other people's goods. But what do we have? And this gets this is the difference. The law has all these things. If you take the ox, you're going to protect him. You're responsible. You take, well, they don't have lawnmowers. You take the the Sith, whatever, not a Sith, the scythe. I forget what scythe is one of them. <coughs> you're responsible for it. 
And if you don't, you're, you're in big trouble. And then what God says to us is what? Love your neighbor. Repeated in the New Testament that this is the fulfillment of the whole law. Love your neighbor. And if you loved your neighbor, would you take care of their stuff if you had it? Most stuff. And, and in fact, you wouldn't have to have laws to tell you to. Right? So you see, there's a great difference there. When, when you move from law to spirit, the Holy Spirit is in you to through and through make you someone who loves. And I don't really need particular rules to tell me how to care for people or talk to people or do for people or give to people. I have, I'm a spirit-filled believer. And see, that's not law. So the law is fulfilled and that moves aside. I still heartily do the things that are written in the law, but I'm not under its authority. I'm under the authority of God the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the God the Son, and God the Father. And by that, I do. So you see the difference there. Is that <clears throat> as a new creature, as a new creation, this new life is a life in which Little old me, born a sinner and still a sinner, is actually living Christ-like. And you know what happens? Is that the promise of this is that you'll have joy. That's one of them. It's just one. One out of many. And you see, when you're filled with joy, guess what happens to your brain? You actually feel this. Dopamine. I guess when you drink to get dopamine, it's a dope. You're a dope. But see, with spirit-filled, the same thing happens. You get filled with joy. And yet, it's a joy that's not temporary and then has the repercussions of whatever you did when you were intoxicated and the hangover that came after and the physical um, uh, attacks that it had done on your body and all of that. You, you don't have that. What you have are... Other repercussions, your joy increases, your relationships increase, the work that you do for the kingdom of God increases. It gives and gives and gives. Your energy increases. Your personality increases and is found. <clears throat> now you see how that's different than just morality alone? I swear off the stuff, I'm never going to drink it, which, you know, for some you have to do that. But. It's not a law in Christianity that you have to be a teetotaler, meaning absolute abstinence from it. But drunkenness, no. And that's a great contrast. Morality alone just dulls the soul and robs life. If I'm just under rules and regs and I need to follow these rules and regs or else I'm going to be smashed, then that's a humdrum, dull life, if we could even call it life. So Paul thunders at us here the contradiction between spirit and drunkenness and what the moralist then now, so speaking of morality, what the moralist will plug his ears when anybody says it is that, you know what? There are similarities. Don't get drunk with wine, Paul says. You've seen that. You, maybe you've done it. And you're tempted maybe to do it again. And look, I've got something better. It's not just, 
don't get drunk. It's instead, but be filled with the Spirit. Meaning that what you're after, what people are after with the drunkenness, (coughs) is given by God the Holy Spirit and way better. When drink gets excessive, and I can't remember the neurotransmitter that was mentioned in the article, but it's not the, the GABA one was the depressant. The other ones that are excitatory, right? It becomes excessive alcohol becomes stimulating, exhilarating, and thrilling. <coughs> but at the same time, Christian living is stimulating, exhilarating, and thrilling, and thrilling without the negative side effects, but with blessing upon. Uh, sorry, blessing beyond imagination. <clears throat> is it not stimulating, exhilarating, and thrilling? It is. For those who have faith, reality of it. I got a, an, an example to show you on Sunday. I can't wait to do it. It's, it's right up my alley. And um, as I get into my alley here, as I, as I, I'm going to show you more of these. But <coughs> I've been away from science for so long that I've kind of gotten dull to it a little bit. And then I saw something today. It's, um, and it is the, you know, the idea of how complex this whole world is. The smallest, simplest, smallest. The simplest, because they're all small. The simplest cell, the simplest bacteria cell is more complex than you and I could ever know. It is crazy complex. And that's just a little bug that is the simplest of living things. And yet God has control of all of this. Um, And so, by faith we know that the Creator has sent His Son to give us life through His own death. And then with that life, to please this Creator who has loved us that much. And to honor and glorify His Son who has given up so much and is now resurrected at His right hand. These things, (coughs) and the life that comes from that, these are very stimulating things. Again, without the negative side effects, Side effects. You know, the filling of the Spirit has side effects. Do you ever, you'd love those commercials that the big pharmaceutical companies put on TV? They, they give you this, you know, for whatever. Here's the latest pill. And they've got really happy people in the sunshine. Or, you know, their asthma's gone. And their cirrhosis is gone. And all of this other stuff. Side effects may include... And then you're like, what? Nausea. They start off with the little ones. Nausea. You're like, okay, that's not that bad. Uh, <coughs> headache. Eh. Trouble breathing. What? Heart attack. Stroke. And then they're like, call your doctor if you're having a heart attack. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the thanks for the heads up on that. Um, <coughs> you find that whether it's alcohol or drugs or anything else, 
even the stuff that people have to legitimately take, you know, that's true. Treat you and God and your doctor. You have to take legitimately take certain things that that help you, uh, whether it be with anxiety or depression or you know, you you yourself would know if that is, uh, you know, something that's <coughs> uh, sinful or legit, and that's between you and God. No one is to judge you on that. Um, but uh, you know, every all of them have side effects. It, it, nothing foreign we put into our body, including things like processed sugar. Like diet is a huge thing, right? Uh, that don't have side effects. That are negative. There's always some negative side effect to them. Only with the Holy Spirit is the side effects, none of them negative. Uh, love, joy, peace. And those nine that are listed in Galatians are not them all. Those are only the, the fruit that Paul lists for the Galatians. But there's far more that the Spirit produces in us that aren't on that list, like compassion and forgiveness and strength, along with kindness, gentleness, patience, goodness, and self-control. So the spiritual Christian life is one of joy. Now, uh, many drink because they're unhappy. Uh, When enough drink knocks out the higher area thinking, the thinking areas of the brain, then you start to forget about the things that make you unhappy. But they return even worse. It's only you're only soaking yourself to you know to forget to be like in a dream world. But in actuality, you wake up even farther away from happiness than when you started drinking. Um, So what about happiness? Happiness is from the Holy Spirit. So if you read it with me, just a couple passages in 1 Peter. You probably know them well. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. We've got a few minutes left. First Peter one six says, "In this way, in, sorry, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Peter says here, "In this you greatly rejoice." Meaning, who you are in Christ, the fact that your inheritance with Christ is imperishable. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's what Peter writes. And he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though you're distressed by trial. You see, the joy that the Holy Spirit gives. Now, alcohol gives a joy. These are the similarities that Paul is drawing. He said, don't get drunk with wine because some of you are getting drunk with wine because you're unhappy and you you know, for a little while it makes you a little less unhappy. And he says, but be filled with the Spirit. There lies your true joy. And in this joy, you actually even have it when you're going through a tough time. When you're going through tribulation. First Peter 4.12, <clears throat> you know we had to put this one in for this subject. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Rejoice even with exultation. 
And again, that's a joy of God the Holy Spirit. Another, uh, yeah, this would be the last one. Yep. The, the last similarity that I'll draw today, there's probably more, uh, is that drunkards usually have boon companions. I don't know what, I didn't look up boon. I don't know what that really means. I guess I should have, but I, I just know the phrase, boon companion. Uh, <clears throat> and, you know, in that society, they're pretty sure that they can't have friends that don't drink like they do. You know, their friends are generally not those who are not drunkards. I mean those who do this as a lifestyle, of course. That's what we're that's what I'm mentioning here. Right? Don't don't please don't take it the wrong way. I I've already said a couple of times that uh, drinking is not forbidden in the church age. It's just drunkenness. Um, but it's the people who are uh repetitive at abusing alcohol. They usually have friends. And what? They sing together. They say nice things to each other. They hang out. They laugh. They tell jokes. They cry together. Whatever. Right? They're friends. Now, notice what Paul, if you go back to Ephesians 5, we'll close here. Ephesians 5.18, back to our main passage. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Do you see that after be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the actuality of true friendship is only realized by two or more spirit-filled Christians or spiritual Christians. They're the only ones who really know what friendship is. Because in their friendship, there is love, there is sacrifice, they have the same mind, they talk together about the great deliverance, the new life, the blessed hope that lies before them. They talk about heaven as their home, talking about the glory that is coming. They're happy together, facing problems together helping one another, strengthening one another, stimulating one another. That's true friendship. See, the friendship where two people have had the higher thinking in their brains depressed and the release of dopamine, and that brings them together, there's a camaraderie. Don't get me wrong, of course there is. But it's not the friendship that God has designed to bless us with in the human race. So Paul has given us insight into the eternal glories of the Christian life by comparing drunkenness to being spirit-filled. He's shown us both. Well, by the way, he writes it and with a little insight into what, you know, both of them do from the scripture and from experience is that we see both differences and similarities. It is not a life merely of not getting drunk or not doing this or not doing that. You can be clear on matters of morality and at the same time not be a spirit-filled Christian. But the Christian stimulated by the Holy Spirit has a thrilling, exciting life that no other type of person can know. How does Paul describe it? Exceeding abundantly beyond, beyond all that you could ask or think. 
not entered into the eye or ear or mind that which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, Christians will ask, and we're going to get to this on Sunday, well, which comes first, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and then I choose God's will, or do I choose God's will, and then I get the filling of the Holy Spirit? And that kind of question is like asking which blade of the scissors does the cutting. They both do. Right? It's, we, we dare not overcomplicate this by asking questions that the Bible doesn't address at all. Do you notice when Paul says be filled with, I say it all the time, but when Paul says be filled with the Spirit, by the way, this is the only place in the Bible where we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, and he doesn't tell us how. He doesn't say be filled with the Spirit by doing. He could easily have put it in, but he doesn't do that. So don't overcomplicate it. Learn the life, choose the life, make decisions for the life, and watch the Holy Spirit work in you. Can we make ourselves happy? No. We can't. Ever tried? I have. When you're not happy, you say, I'm going to make myself happy. Yeah, how? Well, what you could do is go occupy yourself something. Doesn't have to be alcohol, it could be anything, like we saw last night. There's a great little video clip we did at the beginning of class last night where <clears throat> the people who made that clip did a, a great job of showing how people fill their time. Be filled with the Spirit. Oh, well, I'm going to fill my time with devices, with computers, with cell phones, with food, even, television, alcohol entertainment, whatever. I'm a fill. Any people do this. They jump from one thing to another to another trying to chase away or run away from the aching hole that's in their heart that makes them feel empty. <clears throat> we can't make ourselves happy. We can choose God's life and wait for Him to fill us with joy. And you won't have to wait long. You choose to follow God as Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. You lose your life, you will find it. What he meant there by life was what he said in John 10. Life indeed. Life indeed. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the filling of God the Holy Spirit. As we progress in learning it, we ask that through your Spirit would each of us come to understand to live this way, to live Spirit-filled, stimulated by the Spirit, energized, made wise, as we choose your way, as we also confess our sins when we see them, and confess and, and clearly speak to you that we are sinners, every one of us, and we thank you for your forgiveness. Guide us, Father, <coughs> in the life that is above dreams. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.